1: In 2003, two days before Christmas, and at 26 years old, today's guest Chris Wark was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. He had surgery to remove a golf-sized ball tumor and a third of his colon. But after surgery, instead of traditional chemotherapy, Chris decided to radically change his diet and lifestyle in order to promote health and healing. Chris is the author of Chris Beat Cancer and the new book, Beat Cancer Kitchen. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Chris, it is really a pleasure to have you here because in 2003, when you were 26 years old, you heard the words that we all dread hearing, and those words were, you have cancer. What was going through your mind when you received that diagnosis?
2: Well, you know, like any cancer patient, it was a huge shock. I didn't expect it at all. I'd been having abdominal pain, and I thought maybe it was an ulcer, but after a series of tests and a colonoscopy, they found a golf ball-sized tumor in my colon. They sent it to the lab and uh, called me with the results and said, you have colon cancer.
1: What treatment did they recommend?
2: At that time, they didn't know what stage it was, and they, they were thinking it was stage two.
3: Mm-hmm. And what
2: they said to me was, we got to get you into surgery right away. We've got to get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And so immediately, there was all this fear surrounding my diagnosis and in my life, and This is what happens to most cancer patients. As soon as they get a diagnosis, they're uh, rushed into treatment that they don't understand out of fear. And so I was a very typical cancer patient at that time. And I was like, okay, whatever you say, like, I guess guess I gotta have surgery, you know? And, uh, And so they wanted to get me into surgery like within a day or two. I mean, that's how fast the cancer train moves. And so it's a bit of a whirlwind after being diagnosed. So I was able to postpone the surgery because it was two days before Christmas when I was finally diagnosed. And I didn't want to be in the hospital on Christmas because that's like extra depressing. Mm -hmm. So uh, we postponed it about a week to December 30th. And uh, I went in, they took out a third of my large intestine, which is where the tumor was located. And then. In the middle of surgery, they realized it had spread to the surrounding lymph nodes. So they took out a bunch of lymph nodes as well, and that restaged me to stage 3C. And after surgery, I made a decision not to do chemotherapy. Radiation was not offered. And uh, instead, I decided to radically change my life, and I changed my diet, my lifestyle, I, my attitude, my mindset, everything. I decided to do everything in my power to help my body heal. Uh, And that made more sense to me than going down what I perceived to be a path of destruction. Uh, I I knew that chemotherapy drugs were highly toxic, and I knew I was very vulnerable. And uh, instinctively, I did not think I would survive A treatment that was that brutal based on my physical state at the time. And then I discovered information about healing holistically, and I got really excited because it made a lot of sense to me that the body creates cancer and the body can heal it if given the proper nutrients and care. And so that was incredibly empowering uh, information for me. And I also realized that the way I was living was killing me. (laughs) Right. Well, tell us more uh, about
1: that, Chris. How were you living? What was your diet like, your lifestyle?
2: Well, I was eating the standard American diet, which is also known as the Western diet. And that's a diet that's really high in processed food, junk food, fast food, meat and dairy, as well as sugar, salt and oils. And, um, you know, we know from studies from around the world, they've studied the diets of every living population of humans on Earth. And we know that the parts of the world where people are not eating this way. They have much lower rates of chronic disease like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. They have longer lifespans and just generally better quality of life. And uh, so diet is just a huge part of health. I think everybody knows that, but there's just a lot of confusion on what a healthy diet is because so many marketers are telling us their food is healthy when it really isn't.
1: I can only imagine what your oncologist and your doctors were thinking when you told them that you were going to change your lifestyle and diet and forego chemo. What was their advice to you? What did they say?
2: Well, the uh, first oncologist I saw told me, if you don't do chemotherapy, you're insane. And he tried to bully me into treatment. Uh, The the meeting did not go well. And and he he almost did. I mean, he, he just feared. Fear is the most powerful uh, method of coercion, and cancer patients are almost always rushed into treatments that they do not understand uh, out of fear, and they don't understand the risks, they don't understand the potential benefits, the side effects, they don't even, the doctors don't even tell them that the treatment's going to cure them. So I actually created a free download on my website, chrisbeatcancer.com. It's called 20 Questions for Your Oncologist. It's on every page of my website. It's a free download. And that helps patients uh, understand and ask the right questions so that they get the whole story and they can make an informed decision about their treatment. And you'd be shocked at how little uh, patients are told about treatment. So that's part of what I do now as a patient advocate is just help Patients ask the right questions so they can make the best decision and then empower them with information, evidence-based diet and lifestyle information that they can use to help themselves survive and thrive because your daily choices are going to lead you down one of two paths, either down a path of health or a path of disease, and, and neither one happens overnight.
1: Well, and you know, we're talking about your journey with cancer, but we've all been through a pretty challenging year and a half at this point. And a lot of people are concerned about their immune system and trying to stay healthy. So the things that you recommend for fighting off cancer and healing from cancer, are they the same type of recommendations for general immune system support?
2: Yes, 100%. And I'm so glad you brought this up because your immune system is the key to disease prevention. It's the key to disease healing. And if you don't have a strong immune system, you will be vulnerable to infectious disease like the one everybody's worried about mm-hmm. and multiple chronic diseases, cancer being the scariest. And so it really, the holistic approach to health is really about empowering your body with all of the raw materials that it needs, vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants and all these wonderful phytonutrients in food, especially fruits and vegetables that strengthen your immune system, that improve detoxification, that nourish your cells and support repair, regeneration and healing. So, yes, it is it really is the same approach uh, and th- that's good news, right? Because right. if you really if you really get serious about a hardcore healthy lifestyle, you will reap multiple benefits. You're not just preventing one type of cancer, right? You are actually helping yourself prevent and basically reduce your risk of getting cancer, heart disease, diabetes, MS, autoimmune disease. There's a very long list of diseases that are known as chronic Western diseases caused by our diet and lifestyle.
1: And you're right, Chris, it is very good news because we have all felt so powerless for such a long time. But what you're saying is we really have tremendous power if we take the time to feed ourselves what it is that our body needs.
2: That's correct. And you know, there's that very, their very old quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, we all have power, and we all have responsibility. And each one, each person has the power to choose what they put in their mouth every day, to choose how to think, right, to choose positivity over negativity, to choose to forgive the people that have hurt them, right, to choose not to be bitter and angry, to choose to not be judgmental and critical. We all have the power to choose our thoughts and our actions every day. And when you realize that, you also can't help but understand that your choices create your life. So many of the problems we have in life are the result of our own choices. It's easy to blame other people for your problems. And sometimes it really is someone else's fault. But uh, what I like to say is everything in life happens for a reason. And most of the time, the reason is you. This is not me blaming right anyone, but this is a powerful personal responsibility because then you realize, wait a second, if I if I contributed to my problem, right, to my chronic disease, then I can contribute to my health. I can contribute to the solution. I can help myself. I'm not a powerless victim of disease. And so then it becomes, okay, the next step is I need to figure out what is contributing to my problem, to my disease. What factors in my life are promoting disease? And once you identify those things, then you can take steps to remove them from your life and replace them with health promoters.
1: Absolutely, because again, with what we've gone through, we hear very little about the things that you're talking about: eating well, and exercising, and sleep, and having positive thoughts, and just you know, not stressing out over everything. That is where health starts. It, it's not yeah. an easy fix. It's not a pill. It's not this. It's those things can be helpful when needed, but we. Can control our own health, and I think that's such such an important message, Chris.
2: It's huge, and and it and really it's the difference between powerless and powerful, right? That's the difference is, is in in this message. And so, for example, when when all this stuff about COVID started, you know, coming out in the media and the news, I, I, I was concerned for maybe a couple of weeks, and then I wasn't anymore because once I saw enough information about the known risk factors, right? Who, who are the people that were dying, right? Very early on in Spain and Italy, who, who was this affecting most? And it was people who were very old or, or in extremely poor health with three or more chronic diseases and chronic diseases being heart disease, obesity, diabetes, right? And so when that data came out very early, I realized, okay, this is something that people who want to prevent it need to take steps to empower their body and their immune system. And we can do that with nutrition and exercise and stress reduction. It's the same approach that we have helping people heal cancer. So, you know, again, tying these two things together, something that a lot of folks don't know is, well, we all know this cigarettes are the number one cause of cancer. I think everybody has heard that, but the number two cause of cancer is obesity. And, Guess what? Obesity is also one of the highest risk factors for COVID-19. Not just COVID-19, for all sorts of viral infections. And what do those two things have in common? Well, when you're when you're overweight or obese, your immune system is suppressed. Excess body fat actually produces molecules that are inflammatory and immunosuppressant. And there was a study that came out that really really fascinating study just a few years ago. Where well, researchers found that in an obese environment, it, the actual immune cells themselves were obese. Immune cells were absorbing excess fatty acids that were, you know, circulating in a in a person's bloodstream, and it was making the immune cells slow and sluggish. And that's not what you want, right? You want immune cells that are young and healthy and vibrant and fast to act, right? Uh, and those are your soldiers, right? You want soldiers that are spry and quick and strong and healthy. And so that that same environment of immunosuppression in a person who's overweight or obese, it sets them up. It makes them vulnerable to infectious and chronic disease. But guess what? This is a solvable problem, right? We can help people lose weight. We can help people get to an ideal body weight just by changing their diet and adding even the simplest 20 to 30 minutes a day of walking into their life. So this is good news, right? This is, these are things that anyone can do. And so when I was, uh, you know, the the radical change that I made in order to help my body heal cancer was I adopted a plant-based diet. And for the first 90 days, it was a hundred percent raw. So it was all raw fruits and vegetables. And uh, that is a hardcore radical diet. And I'm telling you, when you, Go from eating the standard, you know, fast food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, lots of meat and dairy, that kind of a diet. When you go from that to eating only fruits and vegetables every day, uh, really dramatic things happen in your body. Wonderful changes happen in your body. Weight loss, more energy, mental clarity, uh, better sleep. Uh, your skin clears up. I mean, all kinds of wonderful things like phlegm. If you have lots of phlegm problems, that dries up, you know. So uh, it doesn't take long to to see these changes start happening. I mean, really, uh, in about a week, you start to notice and feel differently. Um, and so, again, not everybody has to go and become a raw foodist. But we know from studies around the world, and I talk about this in my first book, Crispy Cancer, Uh, And I've got a brand new cookbook called Beat Cancer Kitchen that's all plant-based. And so what we know is that when you look around the world, the people with the longest lifespans and the lowest rates of chronic disease eat plant-based diets, mostly plants. They're not pure vegan, but they're eating mostly plant food, very little animal food. It's about 95% plant-based on average. And what that means in real life is that, they might eat a piece of meat or fish a few times a week, two or three times a week. In some cases, two to three times a month. And the rest of the time, they're just eating lots of vegetables, starches, right? Rice, beans, potatoes, corn, all the leafy green vegetables, fresh fruit. Uh, you know, there's there's thousands of <laughs> edible plants, right? Fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, herbs. All there's so much out there. For us to consume and, and most of us consume very little right we have a slice of tomato on a burger right we have fried pot- french fried potatoes <laughs> you know and uh and uh, very little else in, from the plant kingdom but uh but anyway that is a simple thing that a person who really wants to change their life and their health can do is start eating more plant-based
1: because you talked about what happens when a person is obese? What happens metabolically in the body? What about our children? We have children today that are heavier than they've ever been before. How do we turn this
2: around? Well, that is of great concern, right? Because uh, children who are overweight or obese are at very high risk of childhood diabetes, for example, and all kinds of childhood disease and even cancer at a young age. So the battle is against the, the processed food and fast food industry. And we, we, we have this um, paradox because in the U.S., we're a very rich country. We're not an impoverished nation. And so because our country has so much wealth, there's food everywhere, right? There's fast food everywhere. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to find food. And as a result of that, food abundance... The quality of our food has obviously gone down because it's it's highly processed and manufactured and it's easy and quick and convenient. And so that convenience factor is what has led so many of us to be consuming unhealthy food, even though it tastes good, right? It's just like, oh, I'm hungry. What's the quickest quickest place to get lunch, right? Mm-hmm. And parents, again, are buying snack food and junk food and fast food for their kids. So it really, the only way to, to change this trend is through education, you know. And it, it is hard to get people to change when they don't see that they have a problem. They don't realize they have a problem. Uh, it's easier to change when, you know, you have a diagnosis and you're like, uh-oh, what can I do to help myself? But that's a long answer. But, you know, again, the solution is to go back to eating a whole food diet. You know, if we can, if we can convince people, we can't force them, but if we can convince them that eating fruits and vegetables and whole foods and just taking the time to to prepare their meals at home, and not eating on the run, and eating on the go, and eating all this fast food and restaurant food all the time, that will change it. I mean, that will that will shift this this childhood obesity obesity epidemic. It will the trend will start to reverse if we can convince the population how terrible this food is. But
1: mm-hmm. that's, that's a challenge. The three words that we dread hearing the most are "you have cancer." What would you say to people that are hearing those words right now to give them hope?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is don't panic. Don't let anyone rush you into treatment out of fear. Because a fear-based decision is almost always the wrong decision. We've seen what panic and fear has done to the world, have we not, Mm -hmm. in a year and a half. Like, the calamity and chaos around the world was because of panic and fear. And this, but the same, the, same, uh, the same phenomenon has been going on in cancer treatment for years. That's why it was no surprise to me when I saw it was happening because patients are always rushed in out of fear. So don't panic. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't let anyone rush you into doing something you don't understand or you don't feel good about out of fear. Take the time to read and research. To understand your diagnosis. You need to get multiple opinions. And, and you know, I would hope, well, the the thing that is hard to hear, but I said at the beginning of our interview, is that, listen, you have to understand that the way you're living is killing you. And that might sound like I'm blaming you for being sick, but I'm not. What I'm telling you is is that there are things you can do right now, every day, that will dramatically impact your health. And if you are willing to change your life, if you're willing to change your life, then you can dramatically increase your odds of survival and healing ha- really happens at home right healing doesn't happen at the clinic treatments happen at the clinic or the hospital healing happens at home in between those treatments and so what you're doing at home the foods you're putting in your mouth exercising uh, eliminating toxic stuff from your life forgiving people who've hurt you and reducing your stress, all these things add up to be incredibly powerful and beneficial toward health, toward survival. And so that's my message. It's one of hope and encouragement and empowerment.
1: Chris, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners would like to know more about Chris and his work, you can visit chrisbeatcancer.com. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you.
4: Thank you so much.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: that's bestpathforme.com.
1: To live a happy productive life but sometimes we just need a little help. Our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an IFC certified coach who uses neuroscience to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neurocoach Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss how we can exterminate ants. Welcome Doreen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Super
3: excited to be here.
1: So Doreen, we know that you're not an extermination expert and we know that we're not talking about (laughs) ants as in the insects. So tell us, what is an ant and why is this so important?
3: Oh, great question. So these ants are not the ants that come and destroy our picnic. These ants are called automatic negative thoughts. And these are the first thoughts you have when a strong feeling or reaction comes up to something. They're more reflexive. Um, it's, a, it's a reflex, and they're persistent. Um, it's the normal pathway our brain chooses to respond automatically when we're faced with a threat. So these automatic negative thoughts, I just want to say, having negative thoughts are normal. They were placed here to keep us safe right? Let's say, for example, there is an oncoming car. These automatic responses and reflexive things aren't put there to keep us safe. We radically jump out of the way of the car. We don't stop and think about it. It happens in a split second. And our brain works this way to reduce the use of energy and, and make us function more more efficiently. So I'm not promoting that we have to be Thinking positively all the time, that's not realistic. We all have negative thoughts and they're normal. So I don't want to make anyone feel as though if they're having negative thoughts that that this is wrong. But we can control them um, because these kind of automatic negative thoughts can become a habit. You see, our brains love to solve problems the same way all the time. As a matter of fact, your brain creates these super highways and we call them neural pathways that light up the path to the way that you solve the problem. And and these super highways become the more we use them, the wider they become. And they they are put there for efficiency, right? And so whenever a situation happens, a circumstance, our brain automatically goes to the largest pathway, the one that we use the most often. The problem lies in the fact when when we are chronically having automatic negative thoughts, it can actually change and alter the chemistry in our brain by instituting a chronic stress state and secreting stress hormones in in a chronic way, which is not good for our body. We all know the effects of stress on the body and, and, and how they can be detrimental. And those amps, those automatic negative thoughts, can also interfere with a person's overall happiness and well-being. So oftentimes our brain tricks us into thinking that these thoughts are real, when in fact they're not. They can feel real, but in fact they, they could be faulty perceptions. And, and just to give you an example of some common automatic negative thoughts, and black or white thinking, that something has to be either or. It's either good or bad. It's either this or that. Um, There's so many options in the world. When we think in black and white thinking, that, that could be an automatic negative thought. Another example is a fortune telling, like when you try to predict the future, oh, I know I'm going to play this sport badly, or I know I'm going to do badly on this test. That is an automatic negative thought that is predicting the future. And what happens um, it's predicting the worst possible outcome. And when we focus our brains on that, we have a brain called the particular activating system, which is really a focus filter. And wherever we place our attention, that is all we see. And this is where the whole confirmation bias comes into play also, which is a topic for another day. But this, when we place our focus on these automatic negative thoughts, it's all we can see, and we can become consumed with them, and we can't, we often can't see the truth in front of us. For example, if we think with our feelings, I feel stupid, right? That is an automatic negative thought. Or I'm ugly, a labeling thought, another automatic negative thought. And these things can really affect our mental health and our happiness.
1: Well, as you described, the thoughts that we have, I think it was something like 80% of our thoughts are negative. And if you think about, we have tens of thousands of thoughts every day, a large percentage are negative. And most of those are the same thoughts we had the day before and the day before that. So if you're Mm -hmm. having these same negative thoughts day in and day out, you're making the same choices, you're experiencing the same emotions, you're exhibiting the same behavior, and then having the same thoughts. So it is a vicious cycle. So how do we break that cycle? What do we do to shift away from this automatic thinking?
3: Yes, great question. So we have a choice how we are going to feel, how we are going to act, and the results that come from that. So by pausing when we are having these thoughts and Trying to shift from an automatic response to an intentional response by asking ourselves questions. What do I want to be thinking and feeling right now? Is this true? What assumptions am I making? By pausing and asking ourselves these questions, we can really make superstar decisions in the middle of stressful situations. Another thing that we can do is when we're having a lot of these thoughts that happen regularly is taking all of your thoughts and just writing them down on a piece of paper and evaluating them, looking for patterns and themes, right? Oftentimes, we'll see a certain theme that keeps showing up for us. And when they're that emotionally charged, we can often evaluate them in a more objective way.
1: The key then is to become mindful of our thought patterns
3: yes yes being mindful of the thought patterns and being able to take some of those negative thought patterns and reframing them into more positive empowering thoughts
1: doing thank you so much for joining us you know you are singing the song that I love I mean my work is around <laughs> change your attitude change your life so I am so grateful that you were here to share this wisdom with us. If you would like to learn more about Doreen and her work, you can visit livingfullifecoaching.com And as always, to hear more from Doreen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Doreen. We'll be right back.
0: This is WNY, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Jeffrey Antonucci, went from being a bricklayer to a published author who has launched an advocacy titled Love and Peace, a Sign for Our Times. Through this initiative, Jeffrey works to spread positive messages of love, peace, and inspiration. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you for having me, Joan.
1: So, Jeff, this is the third part of our Love and Peace series. For those who may not have heard parts one and two, can you briefly recap why you started this work and its significance?
5: I'd be very happy to, Joan. Thank you. So in our first interview, I provided you and your listeners with an account of when and how the three-finger hand sign came to me and a summary of the mission, vision, and values of the advocacy, love and peace a sign for our times that was formed as a result of the creation of that hand sign in our second interview i restated the mission vision and values in particular the five loves that make up the values and how they represent the basis or roadmap about how we go about accomplishing the advocacy's mission which is to be recognized as the driving force for the spreading of love and peace by fostering charitable initiatives that greatly improve the lives of those in need, the state of our human condition, and the health of our environment. And I'll go through the five loves, which are to love, honor, and respect yourself, love, honor, and respect what you do, and the love you bestow, love your time at rest, absorbing and embracing the loving world around you. Love, honor, respect, and heal Mother Earth. And lastly, Joan, love, honor, and respect each other and celebrate our similarities and differences.
1: So Jeff, what's your goal for today's conversation? What do you hope our listeners walk away with?
5: I'd like to provide your listeners with some concrete measures we can take to accomplish and create for ourselves a loving, peaceful world, so unlike the world we're living in now. So first, Joan, let me say, it's going to take work, hard work, and just the thought of that can turn people off, be a negative. But I found in my experiences as a bricklayer, when one feels the cause and goals you're working hard to support and accomplish, are so noble and important that that work and labor turns into a true labor of love. And there's nothing that's going to stop you from accomplishing those goals because you're being driven by something that comes from way down deep inside.
1: And Jeffrey, what is that something?
5: I believe that it's the awesome power of love. It's the very same power that drives the entire universe. And it's in all of us. And as I mentioned in our last interview, the source of that love lies beyond the beatings of our hearts, and then comes through our hearts and powers our minds, bodies, and souls to do, in this case, the good and hard work of making our world a better place. When we put in the sweat equity of our souls, we can reap its many rewards.
1: You talk a lot about the goal of making our world a better place, and we all want that, and and quite frankly, we all need that. But what does that world look like to you? So to me,
5: Joan, it looks like heaven on earth, nirvana, utopia. And just what you said, we all need it. We all need it.
1: Do you really believe that we can achieve heaven on earth?
5: So your question is really, it's a pretty hefty goal, right? I mean, that's out there, but like I say, Joan... We make that our goal because I feel with every fiber of my being that we could accomplish that goal. No, no two ways about it. No question in my mind. And I'll tell you why, John. I'm going to take it back to my bricklaying days, if I may. If my goal was to build a brick wall, okay, I'd show up to the job with my tools and abilities ready to work, but I needed the materials to be there too. These materials were solid bricks, right? And the mortar was strong and binding. And it was then that the abilities of the bricklayer, combined with the staying power of those materials, would build a wall that should last for centuries. Joan, a heaven-like world is perfect. So there would be those who would say that it's impossible to build our world and make it heaven-like because on earth, nothing is perfect. So my goal here, that grandiose goal, is doomed from the start. And those people, I'll admit, Joan, make an excellent point. They're saying to build a perfect world, the one doing the building has to be perfect, and so do the materials. And those things are just non-existent. But Joan, I beg to differ. I'd like to ask one of those people, when was the last time they looked at themselves in the mirror because it would have been then that they saw absolute perfection reflecting back at them and the same power of love that lies inside of that person that they can't see but is there pure and infinite is too absolute perfection so Joan, we become the builders of this perfect heaven-like nirvana-like utopian like world and we're all perfect in every way and the materials we need to build it with are solid strong infinite and absolute perfection as well so there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to accomplish that jump that that goal jump this is how i view things through the lens of my love and peace a sign for our time advocacy that's why i feel we can accomplish any goal we set to ourselves. That's why I feel it's so important to spread the many positive messages of love and peace behind this hand sign out to the world and create a worldwide movement for healing, unification, goodwill and inspiration. And when we do that, Joan, we're working to make our world that much closer to becoming heaven-like, nirvana-like, and utopian-like. And we have the mission, vision, and values of this advocacy. In particular, the five loves that I mentioned as the tools we can use and a plan we can follow to accomplish anything. I said this all takes work. We need to approach this that way. There's no way around that. Here's what we need to do right out of the gate is stop using what I refer to, Joan, as a leaf blower approach to cleaning up our messes. What do you mean by a leaf blower approach? There's this person, right, wants to clean up the leaves that have fallen on their lawn. They go ahead and grab their leaf blower and blow all the leaves out into the street. That person didn't clean up anything. All they did after making a lot of noise and dust was to move the mess of leaves from one place to another. And in the meantime, more leaves have fallen, adding to the mess. Then another person comes along and criticizes this person for doing a poor job and says that they can do better because they have a bigger leaf ball and that will bring to bear, right? Only resulting in making more noise and more dust and more wasted time and energy. Joan, to truly clean up the mess of the leaves and all the other issues out there will require people to grab their rakes and shovels and apply back strength and elbow grease and all come together and work together for that goal, right? Another way of putting it, Joan, is let's just stop kicking infinite cans down endless roads. Joan, we have many messes to clean up, and while we're going around making a lot of noise and dust, those messes are only getting bigger. We can't keep approaching things this way. Work, Joan. It's going to take work. It's gonna take getting our fingernails dirty, calloused hands, sweaty brows, and a few sore backs to really fix things. But then, but then again, when the goal is a better world on the other side, this all becomes a labor of love. But let me say, John, please, I'm using these physical efforts only as analogies, for it will be the power of love that will do all the heavy lifting and supply us all with strong and binding resources to build a better world, all very quietly, cleanly, and efficiently. All we have to do is show up and use the infinite tools and abilities we have in us and allow the plan set forth by the five loves and the loving, peaceful messages behind the three-finger hand sign to build a heaven, nirvana, and utopian-like world. I say we start right now working to build that world, Joan,
1: the initiative is Love and Peace, a sign for our times. If you'd like to get more information about Jeffrey and his work, you can visit loveandpeace.life. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us for this series. Love is at the heart of peace, and I wish you much continued success spreading this
5: message. Thank you so much, Joan. Very well put.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
6: Is there such a thing as work-life balance? Have you ever attended a meeting and checked your email at the same time claiming to pay attention? Driving while listening to a great ebook and missed the exit or asked yourself, how did I get here? There is greater retention for one activity over the other. It is a myth that work-life balance is achievable. Yes, a myth. We cannot possibly do two things at once with excellence. Take a moment now to envision the picture of a balance scale or the scales of justice. In order for there to be balance, there must be two things at opposite ends equal in weight, size, or mass. What two things can you do equally at the same time giving both equal justice? Yes, we want to have successful lives and can do so by focusing our time on one thing in one area at a time, which means time away from something else. Life balance is not achievable. However, being balanced in what we choose to do one at a time is. Saying no to the things that are in conflict with what we want to do at the moment allow us to be fully present in that moment. Whether it is a business meeting, independent planning time, family dinners, rest and relaxation, or time with friends. Focus on what you want in the moment and do so fully present. Direct your attention to what you want to achieve at the moment and be great in that moment. If you'd like to learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit star1professional.com.
7: Have you ever wondered if the drugs, surgery, and all the medical treatments prescribed by doctors are the only things that heal us? Could there be something more inside of us that plays a role in healing? I think there is. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. As a registered nurse, I have always seen and felt that there was so much more to healing and good medical outcomes than medications, surgeries, and treatments. Don't get me wrong, medications and surgeries are life-saving. I recently read an excellent book by Dr. Wayne Jonas called How Healing Works. In his book, he writes about how only 20% of healing comes from the treatments your doctor prescribes, and that 80% comes from your unique response to the treatment. He notes that you can activate your own inherent healing processes and get your physician on board to help you accelerate healing. We can refer to this as integrative health. What most of us think produces good health actually does not. There is an inherent healing capacity within all of us that, when properly released, can produce remarkable recovery, health, and happiness. An important point in the book was that when we can link our healing to our purpose in life that is when deep healing happens my hope is that as the healthcare system becomes more aware of these important healing factors patients will be able to tap into their inner healing abilities and experience better health and well-being if you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com
1: today is Emanuela Visoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She is the author of the book Healing Through Nature's Medicine. Emanuela is here today to discuss how to beat the winter blues. Welcome Emanuela. Thank you
8: so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: So, Emanuela, this is something that I definitely experience. I am a summer person. And when we get to the shorter days and winter, I definitely experience uh, depression and, and sadness from this time of year. So how does a person know that he or she may be experiencing a case of the winter blues?
8: So, uh, Joan, depending on where you live, winter will either be something you're going to dread or something that passes you by without even noticing for me, living in New York City, I dread the winters. Sometimes even people who live in warmer states like California experience a cyclical change that actually affects their moods and dispositions. The, the extreme form of this is actually called SAD or Seasonal Affective Disorder. So SAD is a, um, a cyclical form of depression caused by changes in the circadian rhythm. So for some people, as the hours of sunlight decrease in in fall and winter, their circadian rhythm um, cycle can be disrupted. The hormone melatonin and the neurotransmitter serotonin suddenly drop in the winter. And this causes lethargy, depression, irritability, and also weight gain. So then what are some of the things that
1: people like me, what can we do to beat the winter blues?
8: So number one would be taking vitamin D3. And I always recommend taking vitamin D3 from a whole food source, which is what I do. So vitamin D3 is not actually a vitamin. It's a steroid hormone manufactured in the body from direct exposure to sunlight. So because sunlight is weak or scarce in some winters, be sure to buy vitamin D supplements to make up for the loss of sunlight. Number two would be invest in a high quality light therapy sun, uh, sun lamp. So light therapy sun lamps are often household necessities in states that suffer from lack of winter sunlight. Be sure to invest in a high quality sun lamp that you can use throughout the day for at least 15 minutes. And number three would be hibernate happily. Sometimes it's best to surrender to winter and take up hibernation like a bear. You can watch movies, curl up on the couch with a good book, get cozy by the fire in your favorite wool socks or cozy blanket. Number four would be eat warm, nourishing comfort foods. Use this time to make those rich bean soups, the hearty squash and root veggie stews that you've been watching on TV and also wanting to learn how to cook it and try that recipe. It will nourish and warm your body and spirit. Number five, watch comedy shows and improv that make you laugh out loud. I absolutely love comedy shows. I love um, comedies in general. So laughter is the best medicine. Number six would be layer up and go for a walk outside in the fresh cool air. So just because it's winter outside doesn't mean you shouldn't go outside. As long as you layer up with a wool hat, a down jacket, you know, even some uh, long johns underneath your jeans or whatever, even in the snow or sleet, will be your friend so just make sure that you're bundled up enough take a stroll in you know on a a fresh uh a, a frisky you know freezing winter evening and return home refreshed so number seven would be spend time soaking it up in a hot sauna or a hot tub there is nothing that raises your blood heat quite like soaking in a hot tub or a sauna So just do it weekly throughout the winter, and you are ready to go. Number eight is find a movement class that makes you sweat. Getting your body moving floods you with feel-good endorphins. So find a high-energy dance class like Zumba or African dance or even belly dancing and get your groove on. Number nine, buy some great-looking winter outfits. Just because it's winter doesn't mean you need to look frumpy. So take all your old moth-eaten sweaters to Goodwill and buy yourself some sexy, head-turning winter gear like leggings and boots and just feel good about yourself because when you feel good about yourself, that makes you feel good on the inside as well. So number 10, take a vacation somewhere sunny or tropical. If the winter months are simply unbearable, there is nothing that breaks it up better than a short vacation to a sunny place like Hawaii or Mexico. It will give you the boost you get through the rest of the winter, and, and there's really nothing like a gray tan. <laughs> I love to be tan.
1: <laughs> Emanuela, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or about Emanuela and her work, You can visit EmbodyVitality.net. And as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacy slash Emanuela.
4: Hi, this is Mark Anthony with a quick path tip. What does your breath and fat have in common? Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. At a basic level, all fat is made up of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Now, I bet you are not aware that roughly 80% of your fat loss happens when you exhale. How can that be, you ask? Take a big deep breath in. Now exhale. Let's take a look at what happened in that breath cycle. Most of what you breathed in was O2, or oxygen. The oxygen that you breathed in connected to the carbon and hydrogen atoms in your fat. The hydrogen turns into water, and the carbon turns into carbon dioxide, the air you breathe out. Since the carbon in fat weighs more than the hydrogen, Roughly 80% of your fat loss is exhaled as CO2. So what does this really come down to? Do exercises that cause heavy breathing. Whether you walk, run, lift weights, high intensity or low intensity, focus on your breath and revel in the fact that it's causing you to breathe away the inches on your waistline. For more information, please visit bestpathforme.com. Once again, that is bestpathforme.com.
1: Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. We believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYA That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.
0: The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications